welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. In today's podcast, we feature an episode from Painted with Torlando. In this episode, Torlando talks with Garrett Martell from Two Day Painting in Milwaukee as he shares his journey to building a $5.5 million painting company and what roles and responsibilities he gives each person. This episode is brought to you by Benjamin Moore and Sherwin Williams. Welcome to Paint Ed. My name is Torlando. I am your host. So glad to be with you guys today, uh, contractors. What an exciting time to be in the paint industry. Um, we are in. We are truly in a season of plenty. And if you are thinking that this is the year that you are going to scale your business, um, I think that there's an opportunity. Of course, there are challenges. Right. All last year, we talked about the hiring. Uh, challenges that that are besetting us; those aren't going away. That, that's that is a cross industry. You know, I'm I'm in different industries, uh, talk to a lot of different people, and it's a problem everywhere. But uh, it's not insurmountable. You know, there are ways to do this, and 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 so I don't want you to think that you can't get out of the status that you're in. You know, you have the power to, to kind of transcend this, this contractor prison, you know, that people sometimes find themselves in, where you feel trapped by the limitations of the people that you have, uh, trapped by the limitations of yourself, um, of how much you think that people will, are willing to, to pay for your services, um, how much you think you're able to produce. And there has to be a way. We're going to help you do that today on the show. I've got Garrett Martell, uh, contractor uh, from Two Day Painting in Milwaukee. He is uh, on the journey to to repeat uh, this uh, you know this miracle business that he's he's grown. He's 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 doing that in Milwaukee, but he's down in Charleston. He's going to be coming uh, tuning in from Charleston today, where he's growing his second painting company. Um, he will be speaking at the expo in Orlando, Florida, March 2nd through the 4th. And uh, that is always a popular, popular, uh, he's always a popular presenter. Why? Because at a fairly young age, he has gone where so many contractors just fail to get. We're talking about the 5 million mark plus status, right? Big business. Very excited to have him on. Um, if you are a listener and you are not yet um, a member of the PCA, there's a few benefits that I want to talk to you before we jump into our show. First of all, uh, shows like this, um, we've got other speak, other other hosts. You know, Zach Kenny, uh, Nick Slavic, Chris Moore, Brandon Pierpoint. Really phenomenal content. Um, all aimed at educating you about your business. Um, that is on PCA Overdrive, which is an app. It's kind of like Netflix, but for, you know, contractors. 
at the end of the day, you can PCA overdrive and chill. I don't know. That's that's weird. Uh, 400 hours of bonus content, $5.99 a month for non-members free. If you remember the PCA, go to PCAPaintEd.org and download the app. Really cool. Um, let's go ahead and bring on Garrett Martell to the show. Hey, Garrett, welcome back to, to Paint Ed, my friend. Good to see you. Good. Uh, thank you for having me. Good to see you as well. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Garrett, you and I, we always uh, love getting together at the expos. Uh, we love hanging out. Um, this guy, you're, you're, you're a little bit of a party animal. I'm, is that okay if I tell people that? Like, you bring the party. Uh, when you come down to Expo, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I've been uh, I've been chilling out these past few years. I've been growing up a little bit. Oh, I see, I see. Uh, well, well, not too like hopefully not too much. I remember uh, where where were we when you took us took us to the piano bar? Oh, Savannah, Georgia. Oh yeah. Oh man, Savannah was. Uh, oh, I loved Savannah. It was beautiful. I'm telling you, you guys, this guy. Uh, we it was. Uh, it, I think it was the Sherwin night, you know, because because uh, every every year the paint companies, Benjamin Moore, Sherwin Williams, they throw on these really nice evenings. Sherwin Williams always goes all out. They rented this, you know, this space and they kind of gave us this like taste of, you know, Savannah type experience within this complex. Well, Garrett, he's like the night. Ain't, it ain't over. Comes out. It's like, hey, everybody, we're going to the piano bar. <laughs> find an uber get on this trolley let's walk i don't care that's where we're going and uh man that was a fun night it was so fun to be hanging with you and uh and all the other contractors um i'm i'm really looking forward to being able to be back in person uh down there in, in orlando same i'm really excited for it so you've got um, a topic this year that I think a lot of contractors are going to be interested in, especially the ones who are going for growth. And, and that, quite frankly, is a lot of contractors. But I think a lot of us, and, and you know myself included to, to a large degree, feel like they get stuck at a certain level. Um, you know, the uh, uh, one stat here is that, you know, the average PCA member uh, runs a business of one point eight million dollars, which for some of our listeners, um, you're going to be like, whoa, really? I'm not I'm not even close to that. I'm you know that no, these guys are doing all that. Well, you know, the averages are, are you know, driven up by people who are, who are really quite successful. But for the most part. Um, PCA contractors do do pretty well, but getting beyond that million mark, I think, escapes a lot of us, and it, and it, a lot of it is because it's just it seems so difficult to manage the company at that level. You're doing so much uh, on your own. You're having a hard time finding people. Um, even even leadership is is difficult to kind of bring in. Um, what are some of the things that that you've found? that are critical to surpassing this, this, uh, this plateau that so many people get stuck at in that one to 2 million range. Yeah, there are definitely a few things. Most business owners, they can't, uh, trust people and hire people and they don't have good enough systems and foundations. And, uh, in order for those people to really succeed at their positions. So they get to the point where they have to do all the estimates themselves, all the sales, the project management, the invoicing, uh, you know, overseeing the marketing and now they're wearing way too many hats 
where they're mm-hmm. either working themselves 80, 90 hours a week just to try to get by, or they um, can only do up to a million dollars worth of revenue. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I've, you know, I've heard in the group and, in, in, you know, in the paint ed Facebook group that I think organizational chart is something that people really struggle with wrapping their mind around in, in your talk, you're going to talk a little bit about that. Can you give us a preview of who are some of the people that we need to start scaling beyond this level? Yeah. In my um, presentation, I go over each different business model, like my ideal $1 million company, $2 million, $3, and $5 million company. And I go over um, my own company as well. And what I'm mm-hmm. looking next year, I did five and a half million in revenue last year. I'm looking to do about seven and a half to $8 million this upcoming year. And I mm-hmm. go over all the various positions uh, that you need to make that that happen. Uh, the key positions really for most businesses listening here are uh, estimators and project managers. Okay. Uh, you really need, um, you know, obviously someone to sell, you know, typically a, a decent estimator will do one and a half million or so a year in the residential market and uh, project managers can produce, you know, about the same as well mm-hmm. to a high level. I see. I see. And so, um, you know, does, you know, you, you've, you, you've come down to, to Charleston and I think this is, this is interesting because, um, you know, different markets have different conditions, right? And so, you know, what I, what I don't want is I don't want, I don't want a contractor in a really, you know, small podunk town thinking that, you know, thinking that, uh, you know, $40 million is, is possible when, you know, there's not, uh, you know, there's not even 40,000 people in your town, but, <laughs> but, you know, what, uh, what conditions, what circumstances surrounding the market do, do we have to consider when we're thinking about whether it's even possible to scale? Yeah. You got to look at your market size and, you know, where your customer base is realistically, how many, many leads that you can pull out of there. You have to have strong marketing channels and you got to test various sources and figure out what works. Once you analyze, um, you know, how many leads you can pull out, a lot of people listening to this podcast, they they probably couldn't run a five and a half million dollar residential business that they tried in their market just because their market isn't large enough. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a hundred thousand person market and it's not just all super wealthy, ridiculous homes, you're probably not going to be able to achieve that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're going to have to focus on maximizing what you can. And the other thing too is not everyone listening to this will want to grow a five million dollar business. Yeah, I think part of it is identifying you know who you are as a person, how much money that you want to make going forward, uh, what role do you want to do in the business? Do you want to become a passive owner, or do you want to do you love estimating and that's all you want to do is estimating? Right. Uh, right. If you're looking, if you can meet all your financial needs. Um, making $300,000 a year and support your family, have zero problems with it. And you love to just be doing sales constantly and estimating. You don't need to run a $5 million business. You can hit that running a $1 million business if you run it really well. Yeah. Uh, and I, th- I think that's fair. You know, I think that's fair to, to, you know, to, to bring out that maybe you don't have to, you don't have to go for this, especially if, if you're just going to be spinning your wheels doing it, but, but being efficient at, at the level you're at, I think that's fair. So in the, in the, uh, in the topic, you're going to be ba- breaking down. This is what you need to do. If you want to build and sustain a million dollar company, this is what you need to do to build and sustain uh, a $2 million company. I think that 
that build and sustain. And then the idea of like, well, if you do want to go up to the next level, I think that's very compelling because, you know, to me, I think if I were going into this, I would, you know, probably look at the size of my market, look at what's possible and then think to myself, okay, where do I really need to take notes? So if, if we were to just get a little preview um, of, of that kind of $2 million plane, no, let's go. Let's go five. Let's go. Let's just, you know, for our listeners, they, they want to know, they want to know the big stuff. What, what's five? What does, what does the structure of a $5 million company look like? That's a great question. Uh, so uh, I'll kind of go over into how my structure looked last year because we did five and a half million dollars. Okay. You really need at $5 million company, you need a full-time in-office production manager uh, slash coordinator type role. And mm -hmm. he, he will likely need an assistant as well. Okay. Now, a part of this depends upon if you're an employee or a subcontractor business. Um, I think both of them are great models. It depends on your skill sets and who you have, um, you know, working with you. But if you do have an employee model, you usually need a bit more people to support the same revenue level. Yeah. Are you employee, um, subcontractor or both? Both, but mostly subcontractor on the painting front. We do most of our carpentry and power washing in-house. Uh, okay. Um, most of our painting is subcontractor based. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. So, um, so, so 5 million company, one of the key roles is project coordinator and an assistant. What does the project coordinator do? Well, uh, the project coordinator. So in my business, this upcoming year, I'm breaking it apart into two separate roles. We have a full-time project coordinator and a full-time production manager. The project coordinator is the one who, um, handles the job before it's, um, about to be produced mm -hmm. they're um they're uh, taking the incoming job making sure the details are accurate the numbers look good that um you know assigning a budget to the job um you know managing the power washing the carpentry ahead of schedule if there's any mm -hmm. uh you know um getting the colors figured out all the details figured out and um assigning it to a crew and project manager and setting a budget for that, for that okay crew. And then once the project manager takes over, then our production manager works with the ongoing jobs. And, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ahead of time, the project manager meets out with the customer. Um, make a project manager is our in-field manager. We have, mm -hmm. um, well, we plan on having six, six of them plus a trainer next year. Okay. Uh, I think like one manager per estimator is kind of the perfect combo. Okay. And then, and again, you said uh, 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 an estimator should be doing somewhere between a million, a million and a half in sales and the, and the project manager, uh, the same. Yep. Correct. Okay. Uh, and, and about how many painters is that managing? So each project manager is usually managing about four to five ongoing jobs at any given time. Okay. And that's, uh, that gives them plenty of time to be really hands-on with the job, check in on a daily um, manage any difficulty or problems that arise, you know, grab paint um, once a day for the crew mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, work really hard at getting reviews and referrals from the customers, knocking on doors in the free time with the surrounding neighbors and mm -hmm. just, like, trying to get leads from that. Uh, so it's a really hands-on approach for our project managers. Mm -hmm. but our um, production manager is coordinating all of them. So he's um, keeping track of all of our ongoing jobs for our entire company you know, our seven and a half to eight million dollar company next year mm -hmm. is. Um, oh, did know. I did I mess up the names there? Did I did I did I say project manager versus production manager? Is there a, a distinction? 
Yep. Our project manager is our in-field manager is overseeing about four to five jobs at a time. Uh-huh. Our production manager is one in the office that's really overseeing kind of all of the jobs and oh, I see. the project managers closely making sure that the projects are being completed as they should, organizing the schedule. Um, you know, I see. I see. Oh. So, so the, so the production manager is managing, uh, in, in this case, about five project managers. At a $5 million level, um, at $5 million level, you probably have a hybrid between a, um, a production manager who's also a coordinator, in my opinion. Okay. With okay. an assistant helping them out. Got um, it. Got it. Got it. But at my level, um, at the higher level, you know, seven and a half to eight million dollar business, um, really need multiple people handling these roles. So we like to yeah. separate certain responsibilities and duties. Got so it. We can manage it. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. I wanted to make that make that clear because I because I think I missed that the the, the delineation between production and project managers. Okay. So, so at the, when you're, when you're getting to that 5 million, you're looking at the, the, uh, project manager holding both a role of coordination, um, you know, between the, the customer before the job and, you know, what's happening after, but where you're headed in this next year, getting to six, seven, eight, uh, we're talking about splitting that role. Maybe the, maybe that assistant is getting promoted or, you know, maybe you're bringing somebody else in or something to the, to the extent of separating the, the two phases out. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, so with that, then you're also probably going to need, um, you know, five to six estimators who are doing, you know, doing that work as well. Um, so is the, is the estimator okay so how many pro how many production coordinators are there so we have um one production coordinator who's okay. the one dealing with the jobs ahead of time one production manager those are both in office positions okay and an assistant to help those two out with communicating with customers and mm -hmm. uh and then we have um our we have a sales manager this upcoming year um with and we have six estimators as okay. well as a sales manager Last year we had four estimators run a four and a half, a five and a half million dollar business, mm -hmm. and we kind of just me and my GM shared the sales management responsibilities last year. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, and then so then underneath that, what other positions are there at the five million dollar level? Well, you're going to need some sort of an accounting position. Uh, you know, not only at that level. You could have um, your bookkeeping outsourced to a point, but there's so much job costing that needs to be done and invoicing yeah. customers and accounts receivables and payable that it's really important to have an accounting position. Uh, we, um, this upcoming year, we have, uh, we're going to add another person to the team. So we had a bookkeeper, mm -hmm. um, an in-office accounting position, a part-time bookkeeping position. Now we're bringing on another person. So now we're going to have two people in the finance department plus a part-time bookkeeper. Got it. Got it. Got it. What do you, what does the, um, what does the marketing operation look like at that, at that level? So marketing, um, you, most people think they have to have a full-time marketer right away. I personally don't believe that's necessary. I think you can oftentimes, um, outsource most of your marketing at a more cost efficient level and a more, um, a better quality control level. 
mm-hmm. and by hiring someone in that's making sixty thousand dollars a year right out of school marketing expecting them to lead your company mm-hmm. um, you know at you know so i've been kind of just very very part-time overseeing the marketing because that's all that's needed in my area i oversee reports i make judgment decisions i've tested out all my channels in wisconsin mm-hmm. which are high level and we have a marketing machine that's operating extremely efficiently and well and um this upcoming year we're hiring a marketing manager to take over my duties for that and to be able to do some other stuff as well got but it most what businesses do- I don't need that Sure, sure, sure. So what does, uh, you know, what does, what does that role entail? The marketing manager? Yeah. Uh, so it really entails um, a list of various things, but, you know, keeping track of all our medians, you know, make sure our direct mailers are going out on time. Um, look at our cost. Um, look at the number of leads we got in per zip code and sales and analyzing those metrics and deciding how we can more efficiently um, manage it creating email blasts, um, you know, social media content, helping to develop the website, uh, you know, um, managing um, existing customers and making sure they get, you know, newsletters on a regular basis. Uh, so there's a lot of various tasks, you know, listening to calls that are coming in and coaching our um, office admins on how to better handle those phone calls. Mm-hmm. So there's a, just a list of a bunch of different responsibilities that make it worth it, you know, at a higher level to have in your company. You know, yeah. other companies watching this, you might consider having a hybrid position, maybe a marketing slash office manager who can also do a lot of other roles. Mm-hmm. There's very few companies that seen this that can really justify a full-time marketing person, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. So I'm sure, uh, you know, over the course of, of your, you know, career, uh, you know, up to this point that you've found that you've worn several different hats, you know, within the business. Um, what was kind of your evolution as you worked through them? How did you decide which ones you wanted to hang on to? Which ones did you, how did you decide which ones you needed to get off your plate right away? What did that process look like for you? So for me, it was a little bit different than most people. Cause my entire goal from the start was to figure out how to get other people to do my roles. And- yeah. Right. You know, so I was very driven to create systems and to hire people and bring them on and made a lot of hiring mistakes throughout the years, but you learn from it and you find the right person and you can grow from there. But I, um, I started off doing, well, basically everything my very first year, you know, I did a $250,000 business. I was doing everything but the painting. Mm-hmm. An awful painter. No one here should ever hire me as a painter for their company. Sure. Yeah. But um, it's, it's you know, never too late to learn, Garrett. Okay, <laughs> that's true. I uh, yeah, I think it would be interesting learning a bit more. But um, but I know the trade very well. I have a very a lot of knowledge about you know how to handle different types of situations and the best practices to do things. I just mm. I focus my time on the business. Yeah, so I started true. really um doing you know everything. Then I started focusing. Then it became like a mix of mostly you know sales and organizational and you start bringing on some people to like oversee the projects and to like you know oversee the crews that are going on mm-hmm. and then as you scale from there then you start bringing on you know a salesperson as well you know maybe a person for the office and but i've i've managed every single role in the company for at least some period of time even production management and mm-hmm. uh i think that's you- important yeah. So do you think that you had, uh, cause, cause you, it sounds like you tried to get the production management handed off first. Do you think that was more 
um, because you felt more comfortable in the marketing and sales side? Or do you think that that is just something that contractors need to wrap their minds around um, and just figure it out? I think the two of the most, for most businesses listening to this, the two most difficult positions to find someone that will be successful uh, is the estimator and more of the production organization and management, not the mm -hmm. project managers in the field. Right. You can teach a project manager in the field to follow a checklist and to do different things. And you can bring on, we've had a lot of success bringing on just recent college grads that have no experience doing anything. And um, they're yeah. an organized person, good individual, they're a hard worker, they're going to succeed in that role. Yeah. Uh, but um, to get someone that can really juggle all the different jobs on a high level and to manage it, um, handle all the difficult issues that come in and, right. um, you know, work, be able to work with customers. That's a key role in your company, uh, as well as um, having a successful sales guy. That's not only going to, yes, be able to bid the job accurately and detailed enough, not, you know, set the right expectations with the customer, but also close to a high level and be very persuasive. And yeah. Um, you know, that's a, both of those roles are more difficult to fill. Yeah. So do you think that, that a, a contractor should be, uh, looking more towards, um, you know, ensuring that the, the, the jobs are, the new jobs are coming in or making sure that the, the current jobs are, are being satisfied? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a combination of the both for the production manager. Mm-hmm. You know, but I'm talking about the owner of the company. If they're trying to, if they're trying to scale, should they be thinking I got to go sales route, or can they decide? I think it's more up to their skill set and their preference. Um, you know, as you're growing, the owner doesn't step out of the business until probably. I wouldn't recommend stepping out to at least a three million dollar mark. Mm -hmm. um, you know, or you've really stabilized and got great people in all aspects of your business. Um, but um, as a business is growing, the owner should take on either production or sales. And you know, they should oversee the other key person. But your first big hire should be one or the other. Either A, if you're a production management guy, that's where you excel. That's your strong suit. We don't really like being in the field. Hire a sales guy and teach him how to sell correctly. Mm -hmm. um, or if you're vice versa, then hire a production management guy. Got it. Got it. And so you said that uh, you said so that at around three, you probably shouldn't be out of either of whatever role you choose. You probably shouldn't be out of one of them until you get to three. Is that what you're saying? Not necessarily, but that's a good mark because at three million dollars, you um, really should have a full time office production manager. You should mm -hmm. have um, two estimators and two project managers in the field. You know, it kind of works out pretty perfectly to get you out of that, you know, production management position. Mm -hmm. I feel like most, most of the time, most businesses are probably going to stay in the production manager business versus the sales um, aspect because there's so much organization that needs to be done, so many systems that need to be followed. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, so if you're staying in that role, you stay in there until about 3 million, you find someone to replace you and you can scale from there. Now you can do it a lot earlier, but you know, I'm just thinking about the most efficient way, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you gotta be careful about, uh, uh, your income dipping too low by, you know, hiring, um, you know, overhead positions. And I think that that's an easy thing to do. I mean, I remember having a conversation with somebody who said, you know, you're, when you start to hire and delegate your, your income will actually dip before it goes back up. 
And, you know, I know for me, I think I, I think I was okay with that happening too soon. And, uh, it was just like, oh no, maybe, <laughs> maybe I did that too soon. I need to, you know, I need to, uh, you know, be a little bit more hands-on still. Um, so when you, when you do, when you finally were getting to that place now, you've, um, you, you told me that you've been, you know, in the past couple of years, you've held on to managing the marketing and, um, to a degree, you and the GM have been overseeing sales and, and doing training. Um, what, a, what does your life look like today? What are you doing today uh, with regards to the Milwaukee uh, branch? Very little day-to-day activities. It's mostly overseeing various reports and numbers and making sure that um, everything is uh, where it should be. And um, I'd still do a decent amount with overseeing, you know, the key marketing decisions and, um, you know, cause that's an area that I personally really enjoy and I feel mm-hmm. like it's uh, one of my strongest suits. Uh, so I still do that a little bit, but mostly just kind of making strategic decisions, looking at who we need to hire, what we need to do, do we need to change pricing or do we need to, you know, analyzing the numbers and working on um, other strategic tasks, like looking for new software that can benefit the business or, uh, sure you know, um, or focusing on my uh, other ventures too. Um, But I want, I don't want to be tied down into any aspect of the business. If I, I want to have the option to, if I get a great opportunity in, um, I don't know, somewhere else in the world, you know, I want to be able to focus 100% of my attention on that opportunity. And I don't want to be tied down. So I want to have a leadership team in place where I'm not needed. Yeah. And how does, how does your team ultimately feel about that because i because i you know i worry some something that i tend to worry about is like the absentee owner you know sometimes that that can be a a huge strain on a team um to where it's just like well you know does this does this guy even care um you know i i I wonder about that do you uh, how do you overcome that you know type of thing because you you've been in charleston for the last year and you've got, you know, your team up in Milwaukee, you're running things virtually. How do you keep the culture and the cohesion uh, with with giving your, by giving yourself that amount of freedom? You know, I think a lot of it depends upon the people that you hire and like you have to have leaders in place in your company. If you leave and there's no leaders in place, your company is not going to survive. But if you have leaders in place for the various key aspects, um, you know, they don't they don't need you there necessarily you are not don't have to be the face of the business but you need people that can handle their various roles and their various aspects to a high level and um, you need people that fit your culture within your company too everyone you hire should be a cultural fit to at least a point in my opinion Mm -hmm. especially key positions and leaders you know they have to you know be motivated driven be company focused have right morals and values and ethics and um you know you hire the the right people involved and the culture stays alive. Yeah. And so, so then I, I, you know, that's kind of making me thinking that, uh, that, that there might be an aspect of hiring somebody who actually wants the level of responsibility and autonomy to where they might not actually, it's not just a matter of not needing you there, but they might actually just want you to be a little bit more hands off so that they can focus on doing their job to the best of their ability. 100%. Honestly, most of my team would rather have me not there more often than not, not because we don't get along or anything like that, but 
if I come in, I'm going to think of a great new way of doing something and it's going to oh, be their yeah. uh, current workflow. I'm very careful about what I implement. I what see I tell people, you know, it has to be very important. And um, there is a lot of thought that goes into it. I'm not just constantly giving them ideas. Yeah, right. You got to be careful about that. Uh, but in general, like you empower them to do their role. They don't want to be micromanaged. They want to they want to take on a position of leadership and right. a position of growth. And the fact that you trust them enough to do that, um, which is really over without micromanaging in any way is it's empowering for a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. A lot of, a lot of cool stuff. I think that, I think that our, our listeners are going to get a lot out of, uh, out of this, especially if they go to your session. Now I want to talk a little bit as we, as we kind of draw to a close here, I want to talk about your, your new venture down in Charleston. And I want to, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that you have taken the process and the things that you know have worked in Milwaukee with two-day painting, but you've started from scratch down in Charleston, completely different market. Um, you know, it's warm weather versus, uh, you know, some lake effect snow action, you know, half of the year. Uh, were your assumptions right? Do, are your systems, you know, are they are they working? What have you had to adjust what has your life looked like now that you're down in Charleston and building a new, uh, a new entity down there? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah. I mean, the systems overall is really just business logic, you know, and systems mm -hmm. that you set in place. Most of those are universal between any branch you start that we're able to just transition into the new business. Now there were some, you know, market adjustments, you know, like um, everyone here has screened in porches that we had to figure out how to replace those screens and paint the railings underneath them mm. really deal with in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, because it's year round and less seasonal, I did notice that the price points on average are a little bit lower in mm -hmm. Charles market than Wisconsin. Uh, you know, marketing um, was a bit of a challenge in the beginning, but um, you test things out, you adapt to them and you figure out what works and, uh, each market has those differences when it comes to maybe like marketing or maybe commanding a sales price or the pool of labor, mm -hmm. but ultimately your business systems um, and the business logic behind everything that we're talking about is universal. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So on day one down there, what, what kind of team did you start with? So I started, um, uh, well, I really just started uh, last September, you know, I was kind of just getting stuff in place. I started mm -hmm. marketing in September of last year. And day one, I was, for the first two months, I was doing the estimates myself. We weren't producing yet. Um, mm -hmm. I had plans to bring in some crews from Milwaukee for November onward. And uh, I was trying to learn the market, you know, like, okay, what works down here? What doesn't? Try to figure it out um, that way. And then um, I hired on, um, for November, a uh, general manager candidate. Mm -hmm. who, um, we've been teaching him production management and sales over the last few months. And... Um, you know, the idea is for him to run a, you know, somewhat smaller business this year. We're going to, you know, try to get a first full year of business, you know, between 500K and a million dollars. Enough that one competent person can handle with maybe me helping out if the week gets crazy a little bit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, once that's tested out and proven, we got a lot of reviews and we got some customer brand recognition and, you know, some good local crews down here, then, you know, start scaling it from there and then have a, uh, separate the duties and have one person focusing on production management and one person focusing on sales. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you have a sense based on that first hire, which, uh, which route that this GM 
uh, will go, whether he'll go more into sales or more into project or uh, uh, production management? I think he'll go more into the production management side. So mm -hmm. I think my next big hire down here is going to be a sales rep. That's awesome. my assumption. We'll see. We'll see yeah. how go. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a that's a, that's an exciting new venture and uh, and interesting to. I think it'll be interesting to see you know how you how you plan to strike gold a, a second time. Um, so yeah, very cool. Well, so tell us a little bit more again about your um, session in the up, upcoming expo. Yeah, so I'm gonna um, walk uh, you through a lot about my company and how we're able to hit you know, 25% net profit margins at a five and a half million dollar business and how wow. you can get there as well. Uh, and um, I'm going to talk about that in quite um, a bit of detail and some of my secrets for success. And um, we're going to walk through some you know, exercises to help you determine how big you want to go into the future and, you know, how long it's going to take to get there. And then I'm going to walk you through um, various um, numbers, financial numbers that you should be trying to hit and various positions you should hire for each business level. And by the end of that session, I want you to come out with um, a real good plan going forward on exactly how you're going to hit your goals. I think that's one thing most painting business owners don't have is they don't have a strong business plan. You know, they do everything by the seat of their pants and having a clear vision and a strong business plan is essential to running a business like mine. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome conversation, Garrett. As always, uh, look forward to catching up with you uh, in Orlando. Um, go check out his session. It's a blueprint to 5 million and beyond. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show, Garrett. Thank you for having me. Always great talk to you. Absolutely. All right, there we have it. Garrett Martell, uh, great conversation about getting to that 5 million point and getting a peek inside what it looks like. Uh, definitely, um, you know, as you are thinking about going to that next level, wherever that you are at, um, the organiz organizational structure is just key. It's key to getting it. And, you know, I, I, I tried to push a little in that conversation um, to, to pull out where you need to find yourself in that, because I think that, you know, so much, so many of us, uh, you know, we're looking for that, that, uh, that vision, that dream to, to somehow turn a service business into a passive stream of income to make it a, a an actual business asset. And it, and it takes a little bit more than just having the dream. It kind of takes having, um, those key people who want to run certain positions, but if you don't have the that, that position outlined, if you don't have the structure down, if you don't have the market to sustain that, it's not going to happen. And you need to start thinking about what position I'm going to be in, in order to uh, enjoy the life and the work that I do. And so I thought that was a really great uh, conversation to have um, with Garrett. I... I'll tell you what, folks, I want to see you down in Orlando. I've got my ticket. Okay. I got my ticket. I'm, uh, you know, I'll be flying in, uh, and, uh, and I'll be ready to hang. I'll be ready to hang out with you guys, meet you in person. Um, this year, this last year of running the show has been incredible. I've uh, talked to so many contractors who have, uh, have been very gracious in their, in their approbation towards me. I appreciate all of you. And I, and I'd love to, to see you at the, uh, show. So don't forget that that is March 2nd through the 4th 
down in Orlando, Florida. Go to PCAPaintEd.org to register. You better get that uh, that hotel block, okay? You wanna you wanna stay there. Um, of course, some of you might be pulling together an Airbnb. I've done that. I've hung out with some folks in the fun Airbnb. A lot of fun. Um, so glad to have you on the show. Thank you for listening to Paint Ed. Paint Ed podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.